Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. And this is our podcast called... I Married a History Teacher. Lisa, how you doing? I'm doing well. Let's just get straight down to our special announcement. Wow, jumping right in. Jumping right in. It's a very special announcement, so you can't... You can't, can't even s- mention that you're in sunny Baltimore. Oh, for coming at you from our, from our studio in sunny Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sunny and cold. Sunny, cold, and special. Special. For announcements. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, our special announcement is I'm with child. With child. <laughs> Lisa is <Woo>! pregnant. <laughs> We're Most likely it to the, from to the whole world. me. <laughs> 100% from you, boo. Yes! All you. 100% chance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's excellent news. Yes, and it's mo- probably a human. We haven't seen a picture of it yet. Might be an alien? Might be an alien. I don't know. Never know. Yeah, I'm getting my 20 week ultrasound next Monday. Woo! Yeah. Which brings me to my second special announcement. Mm hmm. We are now changing the name of this podcast to I Was Impregnated by a History Teacher. <laughs> but if you, when you put it that way, though... That's, sounds, that's a whole different theme. Sounds a little sketchy, too. Well, <laughs> impregnated obvious. by my history teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's very illegal. It's a different yeah. kettle of fish, Yeah, as in, the Brits in, like to say. In all regards, yeah. I'm, like, trying to think about... The content of that. Do you think Helen's going to love it when she hears me use the phrase kettle of fish? It's a British thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Although my mom also says it. She is, she's from Goochland. Your mom loves all sorts of different sayings. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen left the UK, I think, when she was 8 or 10. So, or maybe 11. I don't know. She still has a bit of an accent, but it's like a mix of shit that she has. from. Yeah, she's. it's kind of really more what they call transatlantic than, than proper British accent. Yeah. She has she the best accent. That's That was like, you know, the back when we had like the 50s The transatlantic? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone sounded great. It, it was Nothing was too over the top in either way. Yeah, very now, Casablancan. Yeah, now it's like Americans just sound trashy and Brits sound snobby. No, I'm not, I'm not giving them that. <laughs> well, you can agree that Brits sound a little snobby. Well, they, yeah, sure, fine. They they think they're hot shit. Well, they yeah. don't. <laughs> Just because you were, like, really big for, like, 400 years doesn't make you any cooler than the rest of us. Yeah. You too, France. <laughs> yeah, well, France is, France is easy to hate. But then again, Americans also shouldn't get too uppity about themselves either. No one I should, think the really. moral of the story is no one should. We're no different than anyone else. It's true. We're all just humans, man. Nice. We're going to bring our baby into a world (laughs) where, you know, we're all just on the same page. Everyone's just cool, man. We're all just humans. We're all just humans, baby. baby Little baby. (laughs) Very exciting. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. It's particularly funny to make this announcement into the ether because you're like, yeah. And then, like, you don't get any feedback. You're like, well, I hope people are happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it because, like, it, like instead of just doing like an Instagram post, mm-hmm. we're forcing people to consume our media. That oh, we, is this part of your plan? Are you gonna like advertise? Oh, I'm totally exploiting our child <laughs> for podcast downloads. Were you Were you planning on not? <laughs> it's all about the pod. Push yeah, the pod. It's all about pushing the pod, mm. right? I'm gonna push hard. On the fact that there's a special announcement, mm-hmm. and this is it. Okay. Now we just have to get people to keep listening. Yeah, they already tuned in one. for the special. There's another special announcement <laughs> at the end of the podcast. It's even bigger than the baby. Yeah. Um, don't you ever it. don't say that about my child. <laughs> Nothing is bigger than my child. <laughs> I meant like like specific, like strictly size wise. Yes. Okay. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Physical size is allowed. Okay. All right. All right. Well, now you know, folks. <laughs> now, welcome to our podcast. I was inseminated by history. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. 
So this is kind of a very weird transition. How do you transition from talking about the fact that we're pregnant to talking about a random history topic? Well, I would help you if I knew the topic, but I don't. That's a good point. It has so, literally nothing to do with pregnancy. Well, I'm sure. Does it do with people? Yeah, yes. Well, it, they were children once. That's true. Pre- yeah, inseminated that's by true. someone. That's true. Ezra Pound was somebody's child. <laughs> cool. Good Lisa, for do you know who Ezra Pound is? Um, I'm not going to lie. No. But it sounds know. like a name that I may have heard once or twice. <laughs> it sounds like a name that you may have heard. That's usually my answer on these things. It sounds vaguely familiar in a kind of a vague way. Yeah. So, again, this guy was a child. It, he was a poet, actually. Mm. He was an American poet and just a general artist and a general writer, but like it was definitely primarily a poet with a massive influence. He's like one of the more influential artists that no one really knows who he is anymore. And we're going to talk a lot about now about why he was probably swept under the rug a bit. It's mm-hmm. going to be pretty apparent by the end of this podcast. Okay. I feel there's a lot of sweeping in general. Well, Honestly, yeah. I'm more surprised in history if you were swept above the rug. Because there's a lot going on. Yeah. And who wrote down what. And, you know, yeah. I always wonder, like, the people that are, are memorialized and we know so much about them and, and things. I mean, obviously some of the stuff makes sense. But there's a lot of great stuff happening and... Well, also on the other side of it, you kind of brought up a really cool point, though, is that like plenty of people that we swept, as you said, over the rug, (laughs) they have a lot of skeletons in their closet, too, but they're still super famous. Like, like I was going to say that this guy is like a super controversial guy, but everybody was controversial. So I don't know if this dude is necessarily more controversial than the last guy, but that's kind of how he's presented if you look into his life. Yeah, I don't know. Just like the people... Power of the pen. Whoever was writing about him was particularly offended by those skeletons, perhaps. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I do have right. to say, I have to sneak this in, like, just to bring it back to the fact that, you know, this did start as, you know, high school history sort of lessons, and we've kind of moved past that yeah. a little bit. But I'm kind of excited for this because it's almost like what, we, what we'd call back in the day, or I guess still now, but for me it's back in the day, mm-hmm. um, the fact that this is cross-curricular, so we're going to be talking about like a lot of stuff that would fall under the category of like English and literature, and we've done other cross-curricular stuff in this podcast. You know, we've done a lot of government. We've done like a couple music episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about science a lot, even mathematics to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Murder. Murder is not really violence. a high. But those, those, those that's ah. Did you take a murder class in high school? <laughs> No, but that would have been interesting. It's called it? Western Civ. Yeah, it don't really <laughs> right? is. I was like, that really is just history. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. All right, yeah, no, I like this cross-curricular. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about Ezra Pound. Now, you've said, because this is important to me, have you specifically mentioned you haven't really heard of Ezra Pound. No, just in the vague sense. Just in a vague sense. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to throw some other names at you. Have you ever heard of T.S. Eliot? Yes, for sure. Okay, T.S. Eliot. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever heard of James Joyce? Yeah, Irish poet. Irish poet, yeah. What about Robert Frost? Yeah, for sure. Of course, everyone's heard of Robert yeah, Frost. Yeah, I always I thought know. it was interesting. His last name was Frost, and he seemed to write so much about nature. Yeah, I always assumed that was a pen name. Uh, but I was about to make fun of you, but I'm not positive if it was a pen name or not. Sometimes it happens. It's coincidence. I've met a couple people that real their real name is like, is that seriously your name, and that's what you do? Like, you know, your name is... This example is so bad. Yeah, what were you know? I was going to say your name is fetus and you're a pediatrician or something. Jesus, Lisa. <laughs> that was so bad. I don't know. Um, I wish I could. I'm obviously not recalling the real life Dr. Example. Robert Fetus. <laughs> but I feel like I have seen that before. But anyways. Interestingly enough, Lisa, you nailed it. I nailed it. See? His name was Robert Lee Frost. Yeah. See, born sometimes. in San Francisco. He's not even actually from New England. Christ. I feel lied to. He's just a California hippie. Well, see, if you didn't know enough details about him, you'd never feel bad like me. Mm-hmm. I feel nothing right now. You know what my favorite um, thing about Robert Frost is? Um, 
That he's from New England? I don't know. No, he's not from New England. I know, that's what I mean. <laughs> That was the point. Yeah. You got me. Mm-hmm. You got me riled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has this poem called Good Fences Make Good Neighbors. Mm. And it's something that grouchy people say when they don't want to talk to other humans. No, that seems like a metaphor for just, like, boundaries. Well, yeah, it's, well, kind of. It's not, though. It actually, <laughs> the poem is about how his neighbor says to him, like, come help me build this fence. And then when he, he's not speaking to Robert Frost the way neighbors should be, and he only says to him, good fences make good neighbors. Which is basically like, I don't want interaction with other human beings. There's a fence here separating us. Mm. And, like, the whole poem is about how Robert Frost is like, this is bullshit and I hate this concept. But now people say good fences make good neighbors when they are basically talking shit about their neighbor. Hmm. So it's like one of those misconstrued, thing, misconstrued and things. And so this like, is one of your favorite things? Yeah, about? I just think it's a cool concept. It's the same concept that we talked about with our Vietnam episodes where how Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen is an anti-American song. Yeah. That's been now portrayed as a pro-American song. Mm. And now it's like the poetic version. Okay, oh, gotcha. I, I, yeah, no, I guess. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I just... Bit of a stretch. Well, the only thing that's confusing to me is it doesn't really seem to be Frost's doing more of society. Yeah, 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 but same thing with Bruce Springsteen, though. Bruce Springsteen didn't, like, be like... Yeah, but it was badass that he wrote a song like that to begin with. You know what I mean? Well, what do you mean? Just, no, I don't know what you mean. That he wrote, like, a really catchy song that was, like, damn the man, like, like fuck Sure, but why isn't it badass that Robert Frost wrote a really good poem about neighbors and like loving your your fellow man? You know. Okay, fine. Fine. I think loving Steven. your fellow man is badass. I, I, you know, well, call me a softie. You know, but <laughs> it's what I think is the real badassness. <laughs> good. No. Yeah. Good. Okay. I guess we can move on. All right. I'm gonna keep. Yeah. I'm gonna keep naming naming uh, uh, other writers. Okay. Have you ever heard of William Carlos Williams by any chance? I feel like this one's a bit of a stretch. No, but that sounds like a name you've been pushing for for a child. Yeah, because I want to name our child Will Williams <laughs> because I think it sounds cool as shit. <laughs> one day our son's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, mm. oh my God, my name could be Will Williams and mom ruined it for me. Okay, for, first of all, for the audience, we don't know the gender of yes, the child yet. that's true. Let's make that clear because my parents don't want to know. Yes. Um... And second of all, I mean, maybe, maybe in the, in the, in another couple of years, I'll, I'll change my mind. All right, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, and then we'll rename. The we'll child let our baby. Point. We'll let our child pick his or her name when he picks his or her gender. Perfect. All right. Now, final name: Ernest Hemingway. You ever heard of Ernest Hemingway? Yes. Of course, you've heard of Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, he wasn't just a poet, though. No, he's a writer. Yeah. So the thing that all of these people that I just named, all right. And this is just a small handful. These are really famous writers and artists mm-hmm. from the same era, the modernist era. Mm-hmm. And every one of these people and dozens of others are extremely influenced by this guy named Ezra Pound that most Americans don't know who he is. In fact, this is from a, you know, a style of literature that existed in the early 1900s and it lasted all the way through most of the 1900s called modernism. Mm. And Ezra Pound is considered the father of, the driver of the modernist art movements. So when you hear the word modern art, mm-hmm. Ezra Pound is the main driver. It's not even just modern literature, but modern art in general was all basically started, not started, of course, art movements are like, you know, Huge societal and cultural shifts. Mm-hmm. But he was the main driver of it. Hmm. Yeah, you know what was funny? Because I was thinking when we were having a conversation about like who history remembers and who they don't. I was like, I bet there's a lot of people that were kind of like, you know, came up with some concepts first that get forgotten. Because mm-hmm. some other person took it and, you know, was it was more palatable, their, wh- however they presented it or their character or whatever. Um, so that's interesting. Wow. So he, he that's um, that's a pretty... Influential guy then. Oh hell yeah, and, and like that's like, and it's a good name too. I mean, there's no reason not to remember that. Oh Ezra Pound. Yeah. Uh, so I first found out about Ezra Pound because I took a modern art class at Miami of Ohio, the greatest school there ever was and ever will be. Mm. Uh, <laughs> great teacher in that class. Um, mm. 
And I just sort of always assumed he was chosen. Isn't Ezra a chosen name? Ezra can be very Jewish, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think it's also just biblical, so. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much anyone who's religious will take a biblical name. It doesn't yeah. have to be the So we the can chosen. say, we could maybe say it's probably from the First Testament, but biblical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so he was very, I'm going to get into his life, his early life. So he, very much not chosen. He's British immigrant parents that moved all the way out to Idaho when Idaho wasn't even a state yet, mm-hmm. is where he was born. He was born in 1895 when Idaho was still a territory. Was it called Idaho? It was called Idaho. It was called Idaho Territory. Mm. Um, yeah, again, to British parents, okay, not a lot of Jewish, British people. Um, mm. But so he, that's where he was born. So you know his parents are a little bit rugged, a little bit tough. You know what I mean? They have to be to live in the territory out west. Yeah, either that or just not very good at, at directions. Themselves. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that too. <laughs> well, not tough, but I uh, ended up here anyway. Yeah, right. Um, but eventually they actually moved back east, and he primarily grew up outside of Philly um, and ended up even going to the University of Pennsylvania, which, of course, is Ivy. Mm-hmm. So you know he's probably decently intelligent if he's not connected Ivy League, you know? He's like immigrant Ivy League. <laughs> immigrant Ivy So, you know, he's like, he's got to be a pretty smart dude. Nice. Um, knew from a very early age that he was obsessed with poetry. He thought he could write some good poetry, and he knew growing up that he was going to be a poet. And he also just sort of assumed that he was going to be a big part of academia and become a professor that teaches writing to support financially his real passion, which is writing the poetry. I was going to ask that. I was like, is back then with poetry like a viable paid to, uh, job? But yeah, I guess not. No, 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 no. I mean, if, think about how hard it is to make a living as an artist. Like, even Michelangelo got paid like a, a very little to do the Sistine Chapel, you know what I mean? <laughs> pure insanity. Yeah. Um, now, he loved American realism, and American realism is the, the, the art movement that existed before, right before modernism, right? It's Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, these sort of famous names, and it's like, American realism is pretty self-explanatory. And I'm just going to ask something yeah. stupid. It is inclusive of visual arts when you say this, right? Yes. It's going to so, be kind of confusing all night, because I'm going to refer to it as art, and just think of it as art as a whole with a focus on literary. And and so could, I, I don't think I knew this. So there's actually like phases in art where we have names for what was going on with visual art and with the written word. And they were somehow connected? Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Because art movements tend to happen like across all mediums of art. Mm. Just based on a lot, because a lot of it is like societal. Yeah, I guess if you like cultural. view artists as being really plugged into like the the like feeling of a time and stuff, then yeah. I guess it would make sense. But that's really cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. And if, I'll give you I'll give you like a great example. There was an art movement that was like existed during the eighteen like the late eighteen hundred or sorry, the late seventeen hundreds into the early eighteen hundreds. It was called Romanticism. And it's not just like love romance, but it was like everything. Like everything was super freaking dramatic. Mm. So it was love, but it was also war and revolutions and shit. And then if you think about what's happening, like in the 1770s and early 1800s, there's revolutions all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like art being reflected by society. You know, it's like or art depicting what's happening. Right. So that's why you see like these art shifts. It's not just within music or it's not just within painting. It's it's within the whole thing. Yeah. It's like you're not going to like draw like three dots on a page when like the French Revolution is raging. Yes, that's exactly. That's not how you feel. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Just never really have. Mm-hmm. It's cool. And this is why cross-curricular learning is so fascinating. It's lightning. My neurons are connecting and firing. It's lovely. You got left brain, right brain connects right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sickly sick. Out the wazoo. Dude, I bet even our baby is connecting left brain, right brain right now. Well, they say after classical music, listening to your father podcast is very good for their development. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just came out in a new study. Oh, nice. It's good news. It's great news. We got to step up our game. 
Yeah, I know. We're gonna just be a lot We do now. about we're we're about about one episode a month right right now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to Ezra. Um, so here's what happened with Ezra. Ezra was writing, and he was a pretty successful American poet. Like he was building a bit of a following. You know, people liked him. People took him seriously. Um, the problem that he had was not success as a poet. The problem he had was in academia. Mm. Um, his his he he had he found it hard to have a job because as uh, uh, he he was a drunk and a partier. So he would get these jobs as a professor and he would be getting drunk and staying hammered and like not being able to function very well as a professor. So he would get fired and get fired and move on. And eventually he decided that America wasn't good enough for him, that America didn't get art. And because America didn't get art, they didn't get get him. So he had to leave. So now we're finally starting to see that, like, okay, he's a great man, so he probably has that ego thing coming. Oh, yeah. You know, of course. Like, think about this. This I'm, I'm like, very loo- only loosely paraphrasing. Okay. America didn't get him, so America didn't get art, so there was no place in America for Ezra Pound. Yeah, those are, those are big ego words. Yes. For sure. Um, and also probably a bit of... I mean, this still goes back to, like, protecting the ego, but, you know, to, like, not at all be like, hmm, maybe it's because I'm drunk all the time and yeah. can't hold a job that I'm maybe not getting traction with my work. Right. Um, but, okay, yeah. so he decides he needs to leave. Does yes. he leave? Yeah, yeah. He moved to London. Mm. He lives in London for a little while, but ultimately was gonna, is going to end up staying in uh Europe and as a whole for a couple decades. Mm. Um, well, I mean, drinking is a little back back then, at least. You know, the, as you've taught me, the Puritan culture in the U.S. probably frowned a little bit more on drinking. Than right, Europeans. right, right, for sure. And like, I think, you know, just about every European country has like some sort of alcohol stereotype. Whether it's like, oh, they love their wine, or they love their beer, or they love their gin. You know, right. So it's like, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. But he's going to end up staying in Europe for decades, mm. particularly one small town in Italy where he's going to stay for the bulk of his career um, until he returns to America, Lisa. Did he have any loves? I wasn't really going to talk too much about his personal life. I'm just saying if you're moving around like that, it's hard to hold yes. down Yes. A- so I actually think, again, I've been researching this on and off for like two months now. So I, I'm going to say this very loosely. If I remember correctly, he was one of those dudes who basically had like two unofficial wives. Hmm. Um, and I even watched a video of him reading his most famous poem, and there's like he's like surrounded by like four different women. <laughs> um, so I think he's sort of and like he also founded polygamy. Yeah, <laughs> polygamy has been away around. That was way say, as I said that. that that's been, yeah, oh, don't it, yeah, tales all his time. But okay, um, so sorry. So he has does most of his life and work in this small town in Italy. Yes. And I'm gonna leave a little teaser here. Okay, he doesn't return back to the United States until he does so entirely involuntarily. But Lisa, wow, crossing the, the Atlantic completely involuntarily. Yes, impressive. It is. But before I get into this, Lisa, mm-hmm. I feel like we need to set a better stage like in our cross-curriculum class here mm-hmm. about the English side of things. Okay. Like we're, we, I keep talking about modern art. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that actually is for a little while so everyone sort of understands like what this means. Okay. Okay? So – it's also it, one thing to fully understand here about I'm going to try to describe what modern art is to the best you, I can, but there's lots of inconsistencies because it's art. This is just generalizations. Mm-hmm. And there's also lots of different offshoots of these art movements, right? So there's these subgenres. And then of that, there's an even another subgenre, okay? Mm. So. For modern art, we're going to talk about four concepts. Individualism, experimentation, absurdity, and symbolism. All right? And all of these things 
are reflected in lots of different parts of modern life. Okay? okay? So individualism is this concept where a single individual is far more interesting than society. So a realist might write a long paper about, or sorry, a poem or a book or whatever about the functionality of the British crown. Okay? Yeah. Where in modern art and individualism, let's focus on, I don't know, a group of 20-something misfits living in Paris and vacationing in Spain that aren't really up to much in particular. Just talking about the lives of these individuals. Got it. It's the plot of The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. Mm, I okay. like what you did there. Yeah. yeah. Weaving it all in. Yeah. Again, cross-curriculum. Um, the next one, experimentation. Okay, so realism, poetry, and, uh, and the most romanticism poetry, rhyme scheme. A, B, A, B. This is all classic stuff. A, B, B, A. That sort of stuff. It's, it goes back all the way back to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Modernism is going to throw that out the window. You don't have to rhyme. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Whatever mm-hmm. your heart tells you about this poem is how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Again, this is confusing because Robert Frost modernist poet always rhymes in fact i think he really famously said like writing a poem without rhymes is like playing tennis without a net Mm, but you could argue if the modern art movement the expectation was to not have anything expected he's being unexpected by boom there it is lisa Mm -hmm. this is good this is thinking outside the box well yeah i'm also an artist you are. You are mm-hmm. quite the artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have some art stuff lying around the house. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, boo. That's how I know you love me. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your uh, ocean paintings in your <laughs> your your childhood home. <laughs> yeah, I've, I still exclusively only paint um, ocean life or botanicals. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, another good example of experimentation. Like a guy who like personifies this, or that's not the right word, but uh, you know, he's the epitome of experimentation. Is a poet named E. E. Cummings. Yes, definitely heard of him. Yeah, right. Again, hugely motivated by Ezra Pound. His whole bit is that he just ignores all rules about punctuation, capitalization, even say, spacing. He, he did the whole lowercase thing, which is really making a comeback now in in music uh, songs. Yeah, yeah, stuff's either all lowercase or all capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he would even do stuff like he would space things out on the poem. Like the poem wouldn't be an EE poem. Like it wouldn't be the poem in full unless you were looking at a page and it was spaced out properly. Yeah. Like there'd be like 17 tabs between words on one line or whatever. It was like part of the poem. Mm. I, you would have a field day on a modern computer. Oh, yeah. A lot harder back then. <laughs> right? Well, typewriters, I don't know. You can be oh, a little yeah, more manual. True. Right? Yeah. Maybe you get annoyed with all the tabs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell an E.E. E. Cummings joke that I've been debating on whether I should tell this story or not because I hate to, for this to be on the same podcast that we announce our child because it's kind of crude. That's about right, I think. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. Okay. So there's this rapper, Childish Gambino. We know about Childish Gambino. We right? do. Donald Glover. Donald Glover, right. And his whole thing is that he uses like pseudo-intellectual jokes in his raps. Mm. Right, and one of his lines is, "I'm E.E. E. Cummings on her face. Now that's poetry in motion." <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, when I back when I worked at Gordon Beer, shout out to my Gordon Beer friends. I don't know if any of them outside yeah. of Tim listen. Oh, yeah, uh, Tim. Maybe Tim has spread it to them. I don't know. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but so I said that you know I was just you know walking around rapping when I was a waiter. And there's this other dude who I was friends with, and we were both in the exact same spot. We were both like in grad school, fresh out of college, thought we were smart kids, you know, mm. that were just victims of 2008 stock market crash, which was, might have been partially true, but regardless, yeah. right? We were buddies. So I was like walking around and I rapped that line, and he looked at me and he said, You know, that's a pretty good line, but do you think you'd ever be able to capitalize on it? <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> E. Cummings jokes. Wow. Yeah, you guys definitely would have had jobs if it weren't for that. <laughs> That's the market right there. Right, exactly. We get E.E. E. Cummings <laughs> rap jokes. Yeah. 
Um, All right, so the next one is absurdity. And absurdity is my favorite one. It's just like, let's not focus on order and normalcy. Let's do some weird shit. Because what happened was World War I. Also weird shit. Right, it was crazy. It was like people were like, oh my God, this is insane. Because World War I, as we've talked about millions of times on this podcast, it was such an insane experience. And it was like, life is absurd. Humans are absurd. Right. Let's have art reflect this. Yeah. I, I, so I, this kind of, it's kind of crazy to me. I mean, I know people speak in like, like, uh, what's the word? They kind of exaggerate and whatnot. But, um, you know, I see a lot now with 2020 coming to an end, like, finally, like, literally the worst year in history is over. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I don't want to take away from this and like the suffering that's happened, but I'm like, it must have been so I mean it cuz it feels so crazy right now to be alive. Like mm-hmm. how crazy would it have felt to be alive during the French Revolution where they were like just killing people randomly and World War 1 where you're like what the fuck is happening? Why are we doing this? Um Well yeah. right, and that's the thing about the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. Is that Spanish flu was happening. It was pretty similar to COVID at this point in terms of numbers. Yeah. But imagine on top of the Spanish flu there's the worst war in the history of humanity going. Right. It was like it was right towards the end, right? Yeah. 1918. 19, yeah, yeah. Because so uh, 1418 is the World War. It started. No, 1914 is when it started. Yeah. And it's this bad Spanish flu years, I believe. I think it was 18 to 20. Was the 18 flu. to 20? Yeah. 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 So it was like it's almost like everyone was exhausted and they got really sick. Yeah, and hilariously, you know, some things never change. Most historians now think that the Spanish flu wasn't Spanish at all and that it actually started in a military base in Kansas. <laughs> it probably should have been called the American flu. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like the Wuhan flu yeah. or, you know, and then ch- people in China are trying to blame the Americans for starting COVID. And yeah. I don't know. I love that humans are even capable of politicizing diseases, which is absurd, which is why it should be right. reflected in art, right? Right. Um, so big thing about absurdity, a big part of modern art was also the rise of a subgenre called surrealism. Mm. Lisa, you know I love surrealism because you know who my favorite, shamefully, my favorite painter is. <laughs> Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali. It would be shameful if it was limited to his art. Well, it is limited to his art. But it's, oh. His background is uh, it's a, little, it's a little fascist. Super fascist. It's a little anti-Semitic. A little anti-Semitic. It's a little odd, actually. But even artists kind of hate him, though. Because he's considered a sellout, a sellout to the surrealist mm. movement. Well, if you're selling out to Hitler, you know, why wouldn't you just sell out for everything? I mean, that's true. That's a good point. There's that's no point. lower bottom. Right. Um, but yeah, okay. Surrealism is uh, absurdity. It, is absurdity? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that that's a great. I don't know how many people are familiar with with Dolly's work, but that's that really puts it in perspective for me. Right. You're talking about melting clocks. And like giraffes like, with three times the size necks. That right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very Elephants green-like. with tall, long legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and then finally, symbolism. I don't think we need to get into symbolism because symbolism is pretty self-explanatory. Just have a use of symbolism within literature. So this is like the sort of fun stuff to analyze. It's uh, that like that like feels like to me encapsulates my most of my English like reading experience, literature experience in high school was just like figuring out the symbolism for right. everything. And I remember being like, how do they know this? Like, like my teacher's like, well, this is what this means. And I'm like, how did people figure that out? Yeah. Like <laughs> back when I didn't get anything. Well, I, I think a part of the reason I like movies so much now is because of having good, like George Mason really did my high school, mm. really had legitimately really good English teachers, even though I was a terrible student. Like, the fact that I learned so much from them is, like, impressive. And it was Miss Sinha and Dr. DeFazio. Dr. DeFazio. Dr. DeFazio was a man. He was obsessed with Irving, Ernest Hemingway to, like, he, like, tried to make himself Ernest Hemingway. And he wrote Ernest Hemingway. And we read Ernest Hemingway, even though it wasn't always in the curriculum. He was obsessed. Mm-hmm. I think he did his doctorate on Ernest Hemingway. Wow. Ernest Dr. DeFazio. See, that, yeah. this is a looser example, but, like, he's a cool dude. His name is Dr. DeFazio. I mean... I feel like that's a dope name. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, like, he was kind of named, it, 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 it foretold his destiny. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 
This one time I was really zoned out in this class and a spider <laughs> like crawled in front of me and I like picked it up and I was playing with it. And like, have you ever played with a spider where they like shoot down a web so you can like hold up the spider but it will be hanging like four inches below you? I mean, I can imagine. I don't think I've ever really gone for it myself. Yeah, so I went like really deep into messing with a spider. And I was like your classic, I shouldn't be in IB English, but my parents wanted me to get into a school and I was just a football player dummy. You know what I mean? And I'm like zoned out playing with this spider very much with my hands. (laughs) And then I realized I looked up and Dr. Fazio was just staring. He stopped talking to stare at me, (laughs) staring at this spider. And then I looked up. And then looked around the room and everyone was looking at me because the teacher was looking at me. And I looked up at him and he just like literally did one of those shaking his head, like puts his forehead in his hand. Just like, oh, God. Yeah, this is like the human version of a dog with a squirrel. It's like, oh, spooner. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. But he was the man. Yeah, he's um, like it. One more story about Dr. DeFazio. Okay. This is a high school history podcast after all that. No. So you've met my friend Evan. Mm-hmm. Evan was in my brother's grade, but he was, he just, similar to how he is now, he just doesn't shut the hell up. Very in, intelligent. Like he should have been in the Ivy English class. Okay. But he just never shut up. So he was sitting there talking and talking and talking. And Dr. DeFazio was trying to give a lecture. And in the middle of his lecture, without breaking his lecture, walked over to Evan, who wouldn't shut the hell up, opened the door, and dragged him while sitting at his desk, <laughs> while still giving the lecture into the hallway, <laughs> kept talking, shut the door behind him, and kept giving the lecture. <laughs> That's like, pretty badass. Yeah, it was a brilliant. Classic you know. DeFazio. Yeah, classic Dr. D. <laughs> Uh, anyway, moving on. Sorry, that was a really long personal break, and I apologize. <laughs> All right, so big thing that Ezra Pound pioneered, not just modernism, with something called imagism. Mm. Imagism, Lisa. And sorry, when you pioneered this, like, did he write down the rules, or did he just like, kind of the tone? That's a great question. All mine are great. People would like, so he had such an influence. Like, people would come to him and be like, I'm working on this. What do you think about it? And be like, well, why don't we make it less like this and more like that? <laughs> Great time to be burping. It really was. It's the problem with having a beer during the podcast. It's like, eventually, I, I just don't. <laughs> the word this, like, just disappeared into your. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if anyone else finds that funny, but I mean, watching it from my angle was, <laughs> was entertaining. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> well, I was really getting you. <laughs> it's just funny. You're all You tell the story. <laughs> you're just acting like it's normal just to be burping. I'm sorry. <laughs> But Ooh. people burp. It is normal to burp. Sorry. You do it all the time. I don't know why it's making me laugh. Yeah, now. like I literally do it like twice an episode. <laughs> you do, yeah, you but this time it's going. really getting you. No, I know. And I, and I always notice it's not very noticeable on the other end of the podcast. So I might be making a fool out of myself. Well, I don't but know. But that's about right. So. It's fine. People like... People like hearing people laugh, especially pregnant mothers. <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. Just having a good time. All right, great. Yeah, well, that's having... your daily dose of pregnant laughter. <laughs> um, so another thing that he was big on was something called imagism. And imagism is kind of was what it sounds like, which is pain. I, are we still doing this? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I got, sorry, I got the giggle. Speaking of, you know, history class, mm-hmm. you know, in high school. You always get the giggles every yeah, once in a while. Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel right now. Okay. But it will pass. All right. All right. Like imagism. I'm actually... <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, yeah, keep, just keep going. I'm going to read poetry. Really? Yes. Why do you have that book? Did you buy that for this? No, this is from my um, English class on um, modern literature that I took at Miami. Oh, wow. Kept it. So I actually liked reading it. That's adorable. Yes. Now, imagism, the whole concept, 
is painting a picture of a very simple image from everyday life. Mm. It's very modern in itself, but if we want to be more, you know, subgenre about it, it's called imagism, right? So it's like you're like it's like a picture of you, a painting of you clipping your toenails. Yes. Assuming they had clippers back then. Sure. Sure. Yeah, right. That's what they have had files. How did they get rid of their to- extra toenails? We're not talking to toenails right now. <laughs> okay. Scissors and knives Maybe have been around time. for a long time. Great topic for next time. <laughs> History of toenail clippings. <laughs> exactly. All right. <clears throat> the very first reading mm. for I Married a History Teacher. It's a revolutionary episode. Woo. It's called In a Station of the Metro by Ezra Pound. It was actually written in 1913. So this is even like before he's left the country. But this is images. Okay? The apparition of these faces in the crowd. Petals on a white black bow. That's the entire poem. Mm-hmm. And like you have, in a station of the metro, right, you have to know the title of the poem. Yeah. Right, you know the title of the poem, it's very short, and it's basically just him describing what it looks like when a train goes by with everyone sitting on it. Yeah, just like capture the fleeting moment. Right. Um, sorry, you, so you left the countries and this is when he's still in the States? This is still when he's in the States, yes. Do we have metros in the States back then? Yeah. When did the subway come around? I don't know. Hmm. Always oh, just associated with Europe coming first. Okay. Yeah, this is very, this is very young. This is one of his first ones because he was born in eighteen ninety five and he wrote this in nineteen thirteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Now I want to read another one. I, I mentioned William Carlos Williams earlier, mm. and this is his most famous poem. I'm pretty sure, um, and it's also imagism, very heavily influenced by Ezra Pound. Wrote ten years later in nineteen twenty three. Okay, it's called the Red Wheelbarrow. Okay. Okay. This is the whole poem. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside white chicken. Mm. It's the whole poem. Mm. But can you not picture perfectly a wet red wheelbarrow with white chickens there? Yeah. That's also, the concept. It also reminds me of like just like one thought that would cross your mind in of thousands in the during the day, you know, but you just like you know, you wrote it down into like a feeling. Right. And yeah. it's beautiful, right? Yeah, it's and cool. and I think you you kinda nailed it. And like I think if you go back and you look at the first I don't even you can barely call it a sentence, but it stanza, I don't know what you would call it. Line it's so much depends upon. Mm. Right. And if you think about it in the everyday life of a farmer, which is sort of implied there is a lot that depends on your chickens, and there is a lot that depends on the wheel, the the wheelbarrow. Yeah. Right. And and this is imagism. Mm-hmm. This is Ezra Pound. This is kind of what he pushed through, and a lot of this is is expanded not just upon images poetry, but in image like in in modernist writing. Mm-hmm. Like Ernest Hemingway's books are very short. They're very precise. They're very to the point. They don't use unnecessary romantic language and adjectives and stuff like that mm. it's just like talking about the individual in everyday life yeah right and this is all the influence of Ezra Pound very cool okay now this is going on way longer than I thought as usual so I'm gonna get to oh, the podcast itself I thought yes. you were referencing something no 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 hell no 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 I'm actually having a lovely time I, I wish I hope our listeners are as well but I'm sure I'm going to get through the rest of his life now. Now that we established the literary... Oh, right. We're still in the part where we're explaining modernism. Right. But the the thing that got me into doing an episode on Ezra Pound is how bizarre the end of his life is. Okay. So we're going to get to that now. Okay, cool. All right. So he is... Let's go back to Rapilo, Italy, which is the little Italy where... The little town in Italy where he spent most of his life. Mm. All right. He, this is where he's going to start writing something called his cantos. And cantos are long poems... They're his life's work. He wrote like dozens and dozens of these things, like 168 or somewhere along these things. And cantos is like a kind of a generic term because it's not just each one is a poem. It's like each one is almost a collection of poems, but some of them are also just a long poem. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what he's very famous for in terms of him as a poet. I would argue that his most famous thing about him is his influence. But when you're talking about his... Writing is all about cantos, right? Okay. And they're very political. They're very much about society, 
Mm-hmm. All right, and he dug he dug deep into like politics and society when writing them, right? In Europe or in all over the world. Like okay. he was also very fascinated with um, Asian culture. Mm. In fact, if you think about it, these imagist writings they're very short. Yeah, I was thinking about haikus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look how smart you are. Uh, it's a baby. Yeah, it's just like these are like some people have considered them to be Western haikus. His imagism is is Western or Western yeah. haiku. Yeah. Um, so he's studied and, you know, really dove into culture and politics and society all around the world. And what he ultimately started thinking is he was obviously, he became very anti-American, which is probably personal and petty, right? So he was against capitalism. He was horribly against investments where people got rich by their money, making them rich. Mm. Um, he even was pretty anti-democracy for a while. Um, In favor of? What's the alternative? Authoritarianism? Again, great question. Yes, essentially, he sort of decided that people shouldn't be trusted and that really we should have like a basically a, benevol- a benevolent dictator or an enlightened dictator. Yeah, like to- Mussolini. <laughs> I mean, that's who Look we- at you making connections already, <laughs> right? So yeah, in, in the 1920s, a guy named Benito Mussolini kind of takes over Italy. And it wasn't like overnight. I mean, I guess it was to a certain extent. But it's not like he became president, but he was around. He's this political figure who was like a hardcore authoritarian. And Ezra Pound was very pro Benito Mussolini. Wow. And if you're very pro Benito Mussolini, guess, else, guess who else you're going to be a fan of? Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. So here you have this guy. World War II comes around. He's an English speaker, obviously. He is pro-fascism. He's pro-authoritarian. So they basically, the Italian state hires Ezra Pound. To write, propaganda. They, yeah, really, yeah, wow. but but a very particular type of propaganda, where it's English writing that he does over the radio, and he they they point their radio waves so it can be picked up in the UK and all the way back in the United States. Oh. So here's Ezra Pound, who's this famous, extremely influential writer at this point, mm. who started this entirely new art movement. All of a sudden, you can hear him on your radio waves talking about how America sucks, how American culture is is vapid and and useless and selfish. He's anti-LBJ, and he is, of course, I'm sorry to say this, my boo. I'm like the Judans. Anti-Semitic as well. What's his reasoning for that? I think it's, I don't know, because I didn't really dive into why he turned into the specifics of his asshole. Because the Jews... Are perfect for this modernist stuff. They love just like focusing on little details that don't matter. Yeah, and joking about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, he totally missed an opportunity there. Yeah, and I think it's just probably like following Hitler a little too much, you know? Yeah, like no, I mean, obviously that's what happened, but <clears throat> it's a big shame because he obviously had a big brain mm-hmm. and could have figured things out for himself maybe in a little better of a way. But, you know, people get influenced. Right. Um, okay, so wow, so he's wow. Well, now it's very clear why he's not very celebrated. Yes, well, <laughs> but I mean, Dolly. I mean, there's a ton Dolly of was also for him. Yeah, that's true. You it's know? true. There's he not a lot under the rug. He yeah. was over the rug. He was. Yeah. He was still pretty over the rug. There's so many movies about Dolly, and I couldn't find a single one about Ezra. Mm. Um, just to wrap things up because it gets a little weirder. He gets so bad with these anti-American messages that the American government declares him an enemy of the state who is wanted for treason. I don't mind. Yes. Do you know who took over Italy in 1944? From Mussolini? Yeah. Um, Americans. That's a trick question. The Americans... Oh, you mean like liberated them? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when they were liberating Italy... um, from fascism and to a certain extent Nazism, they found Ezra Pound. And Ezra Pound was held in a cage with the American troops right near Pisa, Italy for several months. Wow. And then because he was wanted, he was like a basically a wanted, again, wanted for treason, was shipped back to America, hence my little nugget I left back, right? So they sent him back to America to stand trial for treason. But eventually the trial never happened because he's actually going to be declared criminally insane. Oh, 
And he is going to spend. Well, apparently, I think it was a lot of people reaching out to him, reaching out on his behalf, being like he's was like over influenced, his brain was too overactive, whatever the fuck it was. And he was put into something called St. Elizabeth Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Washington, D.C. Never heard of it. Have you heard of it? No. Yeah. I, I can't imagine hospitals for the criminally insane still exist. Well, <laughs> not with that wording. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Twelve years this guy was in there. Well. 46 to 58, he was in a hospital for the criminally insane. Here's the weirdest one of them all, right? During his stay in a hospital for the criminally insane, for committing treason against the a country, the Library of Co- Congress gave his, um, one of his cantos, the Pisan Cantos, oh. he wrote in Pisa, Italy, the award, the Bollingen Award for Poetry, which is like the highest level of poetry award you can get. And it was their first time they ever awarded it. They still do it now. It's a biannual award. Ezra Pound was the first recipient of this award, like the highest honor of poetry in America. So that's when you, yeah, that's like when you don't have cross, uh, I mean, I just feel like there was like some nerds deciding that that weren't really like necessarily talking to the people that decided to put them behind bars to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I think I know what you're getting at. I, I just think it's really interesting because like, he was given that award in 1948. In 1948, the wounds of World War II are fresh. You're not like trying to be controversial. Right. It's not like Rolling Stone putting the face of the Boston bomber on the cover of their magazine to sell issues. Like, yeah. they just clearly picked who they thought was the best poet. Right. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, they were just yeah. like purists and they're like, I'm going to do this. And these guys were like, well, I'm the best at picking treat people that are you know, should be committed for treason, and I did that, and we'll stick to our lanes. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. Wow. Huh. I, I'm really curious where that was in D.C., like, and what that building is used for. Now, it's probably some really expensive condos. <laughs> yeah, right. Some gaudy apartment complex. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, you know, that's pretty much the important stuff. He ended up getting out because a bunch of other famous Writers and poets vouched for him, got him out. And he went back to Italy where he died of basically old age. He was like 87 or something when he died. So he actually ended up living a pretty full life. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. And I, I found out about his life from a crossword clue I was doing, actually. Where it was like treasonous Bollinger Award winning poet or something. Huh. And the only reason I got it is because a Z was the second letter. I was like, Ezra? Pound? What? And then I just started researching. That's great. I think yeah. I remember when you were like, I just think I got our next podcast from a crossword clue. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that was fascinating. I, mm-hmm. What a life. And, and again, it comes back to the argument that I like to make, which is, I mean, well, I don't know how many times I made this argument. I talk about myself in my head all the time, but just that like, Great, wonderful things can come from the same place as like very, you know, dark things. Right. As I, well, I feel like it's kind of a theme on this podcast. Yeah. Is that like every great man was probably a terrible man, and like we've said that yeah. a million times, and like everybody's got skeletons and all this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, they can coexist and often do in the same body. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, well, yeah, and it just goes back to like kind of cancel culture now, right? Where it's sure. like, do you separate that and look at the good and condemn the bad or do you just erase it all? Yeah. You know, not to compare it to Michael Jackson, but I mean, that's a huge debate for him, right? Sure. You know, it's like, do we remember his music or is that all like completely um, to be forgotten because of the transgressions? So yeah, it's really, it's interesting, but it's like, it's, it is the human condition. We like to like cancel it and pretend that that's not what happens, but that that is how most people are. Right. Like, capable of good and bad and often doing both. I, I'm so glad that you took it down this path because mm-hmm. I want to end this talk about with Woody Allen, actually. Mm, another one. <laughs> yeah, right, because Woody Allen, 
I don't give a shit what you say about Woody Allen. That dude made incredible movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, horribly sleazy human being. Did some yeah. terrible things. Very openly sleazy. Right. Um, but he made great movies. And one of, the, one of his favorite movies of mine is actually a movie called Midnight in Paris that I tried to make you watch with me once. But I think you fell asleep about 25 minutes in. I've been known to do that. Yeah. And basically the whole concept of this movie is Luke Wilson is in a marriage, an unsatisfying marriage. Yeah. Okay? And they're vacationing in Paris, and at midnight he happens to be in a place and it takes him back in time to 1920s Paris, and he's hanging out with all the modern artists. So there's Ezra Pound, and, and sorry, sorry, there isn't Ezra Pound. There's Ernest Hemingway, there's T.S. Eliot, there's F. Scott Fitzgerald, there's, um, who's the married couple? I'm blanking on the famous married couple, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all characters. Dali is a famous character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but very noticeably for literature people, Ezra Pound is not in it. And yeah. a lot of people speculate the reason that Ezra Pound is not in it is specifically because Woody Harrel or Woody Harrelson, <laughs> Woody Allen is he's, Jewish, he's a Jew, yeah. and Ezra Pound was an open anti-Semite. Right. And it's just so funny because like Woody, he couldn't forgive Ezra Pound's transgressions, but like he's still out there making movies when he's basically a known pedophile, and right. he's, he's almost like saying like I'm I'm better than him, even though I. Have done really shitty things myself. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's a huge coping mechanism for humans, right? It's yeah. just like you ha- you still have your oh like the, the wire. I mean you you're killing people, you're doing some really te- you're destroying communities, but you still got your code, right? Yeah. The things you yeah. won't do, and like if you don't do that, then like you're still better than X, Y, and Z people and right. and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, pick your poison. You're all flawed. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's cool. Yeah. One last thing about that movie, and then I'm done talking. Okay. All right. There's a scene where Luke Wilson, the main character, is talking to a surrealist filmmaker. I cannot remember the name of this surrealist filmmaker, but he gives them an idea. It's a really quick line where he says to him, hey, you should make a movie about this uh, group of people that are in this really high-class society, and they walk into a room, but they can't leave the room, and no one knows why. Right? Just a quick allusion to it, quick little line in this like hour and forty minute movie. Okay. So I googled it. It's a Spanish surrealist film called The Terminating Angel. It was made in like nineteen forty two or something. It's in black and white and subtitles. But it is one of the most fascinating movies I've ever seen. Huh. And if you're like a movie guy at all, you should watch the movie The Terminating Angel. I was like, you know when you put on an old movie and you kind of expect to be a little bit bored? Right. I put that on and was, like, captivated for the entire movie. Wow. And that's the concept. These really high-brow society people, they go into a room, and then they just can't leave the room. And that's the whole movie. And it's awesome. So that's my pop cultural talk of the day is go watch The Terminating Angel. Yeah. That's a a good little nugget. Yeah. It's a good COVID wreck. Yeah. COVID COVID movie wreck, y'all. Yep, always need that new content. Yeah. Do you have any other good for the common people? Good for the common people? Yeah. Is that how we're referring good. to our audience now? Yes. Common people? Well, you know, just, well, we're part of the common people. Common people can talk to the other common people. Okay. This is modernism. This is modernism. It's about the individual, not society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we never really uh, shook that individualism. <laughs> no. In well, that's West. always been an American thing. Yeah. Um, so, for sure. So strong. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to contribute, really. Um, okay. but I I thoroughly enjoyed that Good. that tale. Thank you, Stephen. Glad. I hope our listeners did too. Oh shit! We owe the audience another piece of uh, another really important message, though. Oh, that's bigger than the baby. This, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I got my real estate license. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So if you know anyone buying or selling property in the state of Maryland or Pennsylvania or technically Oklahoma, <laughs> for some reason there's reciprocity there, let me know. Yeah. So 1-800-STEVE-SELLS-REAL-ESTATE. Okay. We'll have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> Finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> We're 
words. We both said words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Congrats on that, by the way. Very excited. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Baby need new shoes. <laughs> yeah, lots of them. Yeah. Oh, baby shoes are so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Get them little Jordans. Yeah, little anythings. Yeah. Oh, great. All right. All right. Yeah, we're rounding up right at the hour. All right. Let's do it. My name. My name is Steve, and I was a history teacher. My name is Lisa, and I was inseminated by <laughs> by mom and dad. <laughs> Smoke your green, I'm spending my love beaters, which is brew. But beware, this shit is potent.